0: On today's episode of the In Pursuit of Luxury podcast, I'm speaking with Simon Erlanger, the Managing Director of Isle of Harris Distillers. As an expert in the international development of premium spirit brands, Simon has worked for, amongst others, Diego, and for over a decade, he was the Commercial Director of Glen Morangi. After the sale and integration of that business into LVMH, he left the company and in 2015 joined the Isle of Harris Distillery, where as Managing Director, he now oversees the creation of the island's first spirits, generating sustainable employment for Harris. Simon commutes between Edinburgh and the Outer Hebrides, the final leg on a royal enfield when the weather allows. Simon, welcome and thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you Sean, delighted to be here.
0: I wanted to start by asking you just a bit about yourself and how you got to do what you're doing.
1: Okay, so I've had my entire career, really, in the spirits industry. So, developing premium whiskey brands and gin brands uh, in international markets. Uh, latterly, a long period with the Morangy company, and um, based here in Edinburgh. And um, after that, I went solo and was doing a little freelancing, helping a few startup uh, businesses with uh, developing new spirit brands. And I was approached by uh, a headhunter in Glasgow who said he had a very unusual brief that he'd met a gentleman who wanted to build the first ever legal distillery on the Isle of Harris in the Outer Hebrides. Now, I don't know if you know the Outer Hebrides, but um, these places are wonderful islands of of beauty. Um, The idea of having the opportunity to build the first ever whiskey distillery on, on somewhere so special. Um, I mean, it was just, was just too appealing to, to turn down. So, um, this is back in 2011. And, uh, so I joined this gentleman, Anderson Bakewell, um, and another gentleman who joined at the same time from more of a finance background. And the three of us got together, and uh, put together the plan for, for building this, this distillery. And I guess the, th- that's where the story starts.
0: So, had there not been anything like that on the island before? No,
1: I mean, there would have been a tradition of illicit distilling back in the day. That moonshine. <laughs> they would have had moonshine, definitely. Now, to make whiskey, you need barley and you need water and you need yeast. Uh, and there is very little arable land on Harris. In fact, almost none to speak of. So a few root crops, uh, but not a lot else. And so it wasn't a natural place for building a distillery. There's a small island just off Harris that does have a certain amount of crops, and we know there was some illicit distilling that used to happen over there, but people don't talk about that a lot. So, no, we're, we're, we're the first.
0: Right. So then where do the ingredients come from
1: so this is obviously important uh, that we do source our ingredients as as locally as possible as i say to make whiskey um, it's incredibly simple you just need malted barley and you need water and you need yeast and that's all you're allowed to use not only all you need to use uh, by law so all of our malted barley is sourced from the highlands of scotland so as close as possible to us, but there's good arable land on on the northeast of the island, and so we buy our malted barley from a malting company, maltsters who take the germinating seed and dry it in a malting process, and then they ship it over to us across the sea
0: to Harris. So you met these guys. You met these guys. You set up the distillery. How did that even come about? How who came up with the idea to 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 do something like that?
1: So this is really what this is what attracted me most of all uh, to this project was Anderson Bakewell, who's our founder. Um, he's a musicologist by trade, uh, no background in in the whiskey industry, but he's been connected to the Isle of Harris for over fifty years, and he's absolutely besotted by by the beauty uh, of 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 the island and its people. But in that time, the population has more than halved from over 4,000 people to, at the last census, 1,916. And so, what he wanted to do something about it, he wanted to put in place an initiative that would create sustainable, multi generational employment for the Isle of Harris. Because young people these days will generally come of age, working age, they will leave harris head to the mainland they might go to university in glasgow and as like it or not they won't be able to come back because the jobs weren't there so we have this declining population and in the 50 years that anderson's been involved with the island he's seen some very very well-intentioned initiatives come and go to create jobs for the people of harris but they don't last you know, the call center that was there just before we started building our distillery just closed overnight with 25 jobs lost. And he thought two things. One thought was, could you somehow capture the essence of Harris in a bottle and send it out to the world? Is, there, is, that, is that even possible? And the second thing was, whiskey distilleries tend to last for centuries you know, if they do the job well, if they create a good product, then this is something that truly is sustainable uh, in the longest term sense of the word. So that's these, I think it was the confluence of these two thoughts, capturing Harris in a bottle and the idea that whiskey is something that does last, that made him think that a whiskey distillery was potentially the answer. And I guess that, for me, you know, coming from the whisky industry, what's what made it so exciting. So this is for me, I think, is the first distillery in Scotland that's been created with the purpose of helping to rescue a, a fragile economy in uh, in an extreme part of the country, uh, in one of the most beautiful natural environments that you could imagine.
0: Increasingly, the discussions I've been having around luxury have been around community Mm, Um, and this idea that community builds luxurious experiences because it's smaller, typically. Mm. Um, People are much more inclined to be working together for the greater good. Mm. And in this instance, you know, How you describing how the distillery came about seems to be that it's a you know it's a community of people who are working to produce the you know this finest product.
1: Yeah, well, a community is absolutely the heart of Harris. I mean, I've never known such close community. I mean, on an island, naturally, you know, you'll be drawn together. But this is an island of crofters. You know where you have uh, you have your croft. It's a narrow strip of land. You have some sheep on it. You'll grow some some potatoes. Uh, you might go out fishing, but you need to work together to survive. It's all about collaboration. You know there are certain times of the year when the sheep will be brought together at the fank. The fank is a common area used traditionally stone walls where the sheep would be brought in to be sheared and this was where the community would gather possibly with a dram and 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 work together to shear the sheep uh there's another wonderful story uh this the island of st kilda which is 40 miles further out into the atlantic ocean but part of the uh, parish of harris where every day the men of the village would meet outside the biggest croft house to decide the order of the day. So ideas about competition, um, beating the other outdoing, it doesn't really happen. It really doesn't happen. It's all about collaboration. It's all about community. And Harris, the postman will walk into my kitchen and put the post down in the kitchen. He never knocks the door. The, if you walk into somebody's home, you don't expect an invitation. You just want her into somebody's home, and they'll always invite you in. And there'll be a cup of tea, and there'll be some baking there. It's, it, it's fantastic. And so when I created our team uh, at the distillery, we, we kind of, as a little, little pun, we instead of calling ourselves a craft distillery, we call ourselves a croft distillery. Right. <laughs> But, but seriously, and I've run teams in different places in Edinburgh and, and other parts of the world, and I've never had a team that's so close-knit, so much a big family where silos and departments are really not terribly relevant, where everybody just mucks in to help each other. So when we started thinking about how we were going to communicate this story to people around the world, how do we develop our following, we always talked about creating a sense of belonging and trying to take that sense of belonging that naturally exists in Harris and allow people in, from Tokyo to New York to get a little sense of that in some way, to somehow connect with us and connect with the island and get some of this sense of community that is so special in Harris and, and really lacking in so many parts of the world. And post-pandemic, so much more important. You know, during a time when suddenly you found your neighbour outside the door, you hadn't met them before, and there you are clapping for the NHS at five o'clock on a Tuesday and realising how important community is. And is it a luxury? Uh, In Harris, it's not a luxury, it's a necessity. It's how you survive. It's how you make ends meet. In other parts of the world, in cities, primarily, it's perhaps become a luxury.
0: You said you um, you've worked for other big whiskey manufacturers. Do they not have that a similar sense of um, community? If they're, oh, I don't know, in Jura, for example. Of course, of course, they do.
1: Uh, and, and Jura Distillery, which is part of which is part of a large uh, large whiskey business. They will have a head office in Glasgow with hundreds of people, a tall high rise, and they will be run like a multinational. But on Jura, where the distillery is, absolutely, it'll be all about the community. You know, their distillers will often be, you know, from the same families. You know, they will be, there'll be husbands and wives working together in the Jura distillery. It's, it's a tiny, it's a, it's tinier than Harris. You know, And so absolutely, they will have the same uh, values at that distillery as as we do in Harris. The, the difference is that our entire company is built with a purpose in mind and the investors that we gathered together to help us to fund that distillery were brought in on the basis of that's partly what they were investing in. It wasn't just a single malt whiskey that doesn't exist today. But it was about this social purpose that 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 was part of the sale.
0: When we think about luxury, particularly, um, we are sold this this narrative around you know the makers and their community of makers. When that may not necessarily be the case, because we you know you're thinking about production, mm. you're thinking about scale, mm. you know the corporate world that those descriptors of sourcing ingredients for example or manufacturing the product it's not possible to manufacture in those quantities in in that way whereas what you're describing is a true reflection of community because it is small it is where it is um and like you say those people work together as opposed in the silos of their job description in the big corporate world you have to work in a silo of a job description
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I talk about beautiful constraints. You know, we have constraints doing what we're doing, where we're doing it. There's only so much Harris to go around. You know, we're building our second and third warehouses at the moment to contain the whiskey casks. There will only be so many warehouses we can build on Harris. And we want to always mature our whiskey on Harris. Not a lot of islands do that. They will often ship their casks off to the mainland to mature because they've run out of space. But that would not be true to who we are. We want our whiskey to be Harris whiskey, made by Harris hands, matured by the Harris climate, with water that's flown over Harris rocks. You know, so that's one of our we have five very clearly defined values. And one of them is for, with, and from the Isle of Harris. Everything we do has to be sympathetic to Harris, has to support Harris, and ideally be drawn from Harris. Now we can't do that exclusively. As I said, the malted barley comes from the mainland of Scotland. But when we went out to build our team of distillers, we could have gone. To find people from the distilling industry and brought them over to Harris instead of which we took people from all walks of life in Harris None of whom had ever done anything like this in their lives and we trained them from scratch So I now have six distillers all Herachs ie from Harris and All of whom put their own individual touch into the spirits that they are creating, whether it's our Isle of Harris gin, which we sell, or the Isle of Harris single malt whiskey. So there's a there's a craft that is coming from not just people who've come in who know how to do this stuff because they've done it elsewhere, but very specially people who've never done it before, but who have got true we have some very very good consultants who advise us and who stand looking over their shoulders And support them, but you know young rebecca who's our first distillers apprentice. She's 17 years old you know, and She has you know, she has a job like any other distiller of Deciding when to start the mashing when to stop the mashing what temperature the water should go in at what Level at which, what level at which you turn from one point to the other in the distillation process. There are all these techniques which you could computerize very easily. And some of the big distilleries do. Whereas we've done, we do everything by hand. So the, and I, you know, I can't tell you what difference that's going to make to the, to the whiskey. Nor can I tell you what difference it makes that our water is the softest of any distillery in Scotland. Nor can I tell you the difference that the climate makes, which is particularly humid and where the wind blows particularly strongly. But all I know is that all of these things are being given by Harris to this whiskey that one day is going to create a product that you can't create anywhere else. And I think that's what makes it all so exciting.
0: Mm. I mean, that's interesting. So is is Rebecca from the island? She is. is They're all from the island. All my distillers are from the island. That's quite an amazing story. And is she trained by, is there a master distiller, for example? We don't
1: have a master distiller as such. We have distillers who've been with us since the beginning. So 2016 was when we first started distilling whiskey. So some of them have six years of experience. As I say, we have two expert consultants, both of whom, one of whom has distilled whiskey his entire career, and the other one of whom used to run the Scotch whiskey research Institute. So one's a scientist, the other one's a practitioner. So they stand over Rebecca's shoulder and suggest, and they help her. And she knows it's her spirit at the end of the day. And they'll be looking for certain aromas from this new clear liquid, which might taste a certain amount of peat, a little bit of cooked fruit. There might be some cereal notes in there. And we're looking for a combination of flavors from this new spirit before it goes into its wooden cask and then spends years maturing. And and so they're, they're helping Rebecca to sort of tweak the knobs, if you like, adjust the variables to get these original flavor components in the right spectrum to make what we believe will be the single malt whiskey that we're looking for in 5, 6, 10, 20, 30
0: years' time. I mean, how do you know the water's the softest? <laughs> chemical analysis. And then how do you monitor the quality of the grain? So
1: that's also done by chemical analysis. So um, we have every batch that we receive. Uh, we get a, a container load every week or so. And every batch is measured in terms of its, its sugar content, uh, various other measurements that we use. Um, in malt whiskey terms, there's always a little peat added to the process. As much peat as you like, really, if you were like a really smoky whiskey, you'll have a very heavily peated barley. And that's measured as well um, in terms of uh, phenol content, phenolic content. Uh, So that's how we measure the the quality of the barley. I've talked a lot about whiskey, but just if if it's of interest, we we obviously make it the Isle of Harris gin, um, which we're now exporting to 24 international countries. And when we set out to make the gin, again, we wanted to put something of Harris into the gin. Now, you can't grow juniper on Harris or coriander or orange Mm-hmm. Um, or peppers, or all of these other wonderful things that you really do need to make a gin. So we we engaged an ethnobotanist to spend a couple of weeks on the island producing a report uh, looking for flora uh, that could be used to make gin that might make a difference. And she looked under the water, interestingly enough, and came up with this idea of a plant called sugar kelp so sugar kelp is a kind of seaweed, as you can as you can imagine, which historically would have been used as fertilizer for uh, and cattle feed by the local crofters. So it's got this historical element to it, and it grows in abundance off Harris and not many else places else. So we have a diver who, between the months of January and April, dives for our sugar kelp and cuts the fronds as they grow, but in a way that, within a month, the fronds have regrown. So what we have is this really special plant that adds a a sort of umami flavour to our gin, uh, which is, again, brought out of the water in an incredibly sustainable way uh, and gives something of Harris to the end product.
0: Uh, um, I've not tasted the gin. I have seen many empty bottles.
1: (laughs) There are a lot around.
0: So that's quite critical, then, to the unique taste of the gin, aside from the specialness of the water. Absolutely.
1: Uh, I mean, we we spent a a long, long time developing the gin recipe before we'd even built the distillery. And we we worked with Harriet Watt University, uh, Department of Brewing and Distilling. And we said to them, well, look, we'd like a gin that's going to speak of Harris. Here's an ingredient that we like to use, sugar kelp. Everything else is up for grabs. So we ended up with this recipe that makes Isle of Harris gin very subtle it's incredibly subtle delicate gin um and yet has this kind of indefinable something nobody can quite put a finger on but it makes Isle of Harris gin what it is and whereas the rest of the gin world most of the rest of the gin world is out developing lots of different flavours and colours and liqueurs We do exactly the opposite. We do one gin, and we just obsess about making that one gin taste fantastic every single time so that that flavour becomes what we're known for as opposed to, you know, a confusion, potential confusion about what is Isle of Harri's gin.
0: So is the process similar to making whiskey and making gin?
1: Um, You... In that, you start with a grain, which you need to turn into sugars and eventually alcohol, which you then need to distill to refine that alcohol into a clear spirit. To that degree, a similar process. The grains used are not malted barley. um, It can be any kind of grain. Um, You want it to be as neutral as possible, that that original spirit, but then what you do is, there are different ways of doing it, but what we do is we take our nine botanicals, we macerate the botanicals in this neutral spirit for 24 hours, having reduced it in in alcoholic terms with water, and we then transfer all of this into our pot still, which we then gently re-distill all of the botanicals again, uh, turning the liquid into vapor and then condensing it back into a stronger alcohol at the end of the process. One thing we do at Isle of Harris Distillery, which is quite different, you low know in distillation, you have the heads and the tails and the heart, and it's always the heart that you keep. And the heads and tails normally get recycled into the next batch. We don't do that. We actually quite wastefully, if you like, discard the heads and tails completely. We 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 don't use them at all, so that we're only left with the heart. And that is another thing that makes Isle of Harris gin particularly smooth. And we end up recommending Isle of Harris gin, particularly as a gin you might drink neat or in a martini cocktail, more than something you'd want to drown with too many other
0: flavourings or additions. So you've got the heart, that mm. becomes the gin, you've got this waste. Is there no... Can you not use it as a byproduct and use it in something else?
1: Um, You could potentially. Um, We did actually during the uh, the pandemic, we took some of our uh, spent uh, product and uh, denatured it and can helped create hand sanitizer, which was very useful. Uh, other than that, so far, we haven't found a good use for it. But yes, there is something surely we we should be able to do with it. In the malt whiskey process, it's quite interesting because we do have a byproduct from the malt whiskey, which is all the spent barley. Now, that goes straight into a trailer. And every day, one of the crofters comes along, removes the trailer, and the spent barley is then spread onto the land and feeds the island's cattle. So I think we feed free of charge about ninety percent of the island's cattle with our spent barley. So there's a byproduct that really we we would struggle to know what to do with, uh, but has a, an extremely useful use for uh, for for the for the herds on the on the island. At the end of the day, we're trying to create in our whiskey and our gin something that's deeply complex. That's not necessarily what you want to do. Uh, you might want to make something that's much more obvious, something that's fairly clearly defined in terms of flavor and aroma. But we're looking to create complexity. We're looking to make something that you that, that will that will reward taking time over it. And so, building layers of aroma and layers of flavor are is really important to us. And so that's how we kind of designed our recipes at the beginning. With what? How could you make a Harris whiskey? How can you make a Harris gin? What are the kind of flavor attributes that you're looking for? And and we call Harris Elemental. It's an extraordinary place. If you come up, you you will you will you'll probably get three seasons in any one day. You can travel from one side of the island to the other, from the golden beaches the, of, of aquamarine. Um, to lunar landscapes on the other side of the island, and so, so we're trying to reflect some of this complexity in our spirits. And and I guess everything starts with the nose. The the the, 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 the mouth, the, the the tongue is a pretty blunt instrument, as you know. And and whereas the olfactory organ, you know, there is so much more complexity that the nose can 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 discern. So we do. Working again with Gordon Steele, who's our ex-sensory expert and has been doing this for his entire career, we've defined. We have spider diagrams and and even a even a Harris Tweed abacus in the distillery to sort of show the uh, the different types of flavour that we're looking for. And a lot of distillers, I think, in a lot of distilleries, wouldn't really be that involved in that sort of stuff. That would be left to the, as you say, the nose. But we get our distillers deeply involved in that so that they really get a sense that this isn't just a job, it's not just a function, but they are creating these complex spirits. And latterly, what we've done, because we do need to become more sustainable in that area, and Gordon one day will will want to retire, is we've just appointed a, a, a blender and a trainee blender, and so Shona was picked from. She actually runs our hospitality team, but she has a particularly fine nose, and a passion for it. And we went put her through sensory evaluations. And so she is now training under the tutelage of Gordon to be the Harris First Distillery Blender. So over time, she'll be the centre of expertise, if you like, when it comes to aromas and flavours. So,
0: what is um, sensory evaluation? What does that entail?
1: Well, we have, a, we have a concept as to what our spirits should taste like and smell like. And every batch, every week is nosed by a panel of people independently. And then the results are compiled to make sure that we are on track. Another thing we have, which is quite fun, I always wanted the Harris community to be somehow involved in the flavour of our spirits. So we have something called the sensory panel, which is made up of volunteers from the island, people who are our—they're our consumers, if you like. Uh, but you know, trying to be true to this idea that putting Harris in a bottle, you know, if they think it's right and they're from Harris, then it probably will be right. So every quarter or so, we get them, we gather uh, together, and they then know various types of, you know, a, of, of our spirits and then check those against their perception of what it
0: should be like. The distillers, do they consider themselves to be craftsmen or craftspeople?
1: Do you know, I'm not sure. I, I, I've never asked them. They probably don't, to be honest. They probably, they probably just think, they are the proudest herachs on the island because they're making this amazing whiskey and, and gin. Uh, so they know it's not just a job. They, they've always known it was not just a job. Not only because they're creating something special, but 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 because they're creating a legacy, and 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 their children will benefit from this legacy, um, and their grandchildren. And I think that is. For all of the people in the team, all 35 people, that is a, that gives them a sense of pride that is is almost
0: unique. And that's why I asked about the craftsmanship because there is there is craftsmanship in what they do. The important thing about craftsmanship is that it's skill that you pass down. Mm. And that seems to be inherent in the activities that you are undertaking, you know at the distillery. you know if there's a 17 year old, you know that seventeen-year-old, like you're saying, is carrying on that legacy and being taught by, you know, they might not call themselves that, but they are being taught by a master craftsman who understands mm-hmm. what the Harris whiskey or Harris gin needs to taste yeah. like, because it yeah. has to have that consistency. Otherwise, it's not going to be Harris gin or whiskey. Absolutely,
1: <laughs> and that's why I think not having one master blender who or master distiller who is the alter, you know, who, who everything comes to, but having six distillers who are all engaged by having a sensory panel of another half a dozen people in the community who are all engaged. So there's this body of knowledge and body of expertise, I guess, body of craftsmanship that we're building, you know, so that when, you know, my time's come to go off and do something else and, and my colleagues, and we can leave this distillery as sustainable as it possibly can. So sustainability for us is as much to do with creating a team of expertise as it is about obviously our carbon footprint and, and what we take from the island and what we leave on the island
0: do, do you think they think about what they are making as being a luxury product
1: do you know it, it, it i don't think it's a word that's ever passed their lips i mean i worked for the glen Morinchy company for 15 years we never used the word luxury and then we sold the company to Louis Vuitton, Moët Hennessy, and then the word luxury was suddenly something we had to come to terms with and 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 and, and try to understand w- what do people mean by luxury because it it's not in the vernacular, and I don't think it's in many whisky companies vernacular, and it certainly isn't on the Harris vernacular. I mean, it's it's the um, the they, they, they Harris people are not consumers of luxury. Um, l- luxury, probably for them, is just the ability to live in this place. Uh, they don't tend to buy a great deal. They don't need to buy a great deal. So, no, I, I would never use the word luxury. I don't think it
0: would. It would. I don't think it would resonate. Interesting that they wouldn't. They wouldn't think to use the word luxury to describe their goods. I wonder if the consumer thinks of Harris Gin or Harris Whiskey as being a luxury product.
1: <laughs> I don't know. I mean, we are possibly the most expensive gin in the market. Um, uh, and But but my, my, my attitude to price is always to to add so much value to what you do that people don't think it's expensive. And... Adding value means the product itself, you know, the complexity of the product itself, it means the beauty of the packaging that goes around the product itself, but for me, it also means the experience that goes with it, the stories that we tell to our followers, the rituals that we can help create, you know, with our hand blown glasses that that accompany the gin bottle. And it was lovely, actually. A year ago, we, we, we decided to put our price up, and we hadn't done so for a cu- couple of years. And in keeping with one of our values, which is honest, straight, and true, we wrote to our followers, and we said, look, you have to excuse us, but we're going to have to put our price up. It's about 6 7%, you know. And um, we got about 500 responses, every single one of them saying, absolutely you You need to survive, you need to grow, you're doing a wonderful thing over there. you know you need to be profitable, and anyway, it's worth absolutely every penny you charge and I thought well that that's exactly what I dream of, you know is we need it's an expensive place to make whiskey and gin. We have incredibly high costs. we do things very well, so we have to charge a high price. but the people for people to say that it's not expensive that for me is. You know what I've always wanted to achieve.
0: It's important, and it's yeah, it's important that your customers appreciate the complexity mm. of w- what it is you do and the challenges you face to be able to do what you do to produce yeah. the the product.
1: I, my understanding of luxury is that it's something that isn't necessary. Mm. I mean, I think it isn't it as simple as that. You know, you 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 can do without it, and absolutely you could do without Isle of Harris gin if you really really had to <laughs> if, if push games to shop i understand that and that's why again i think we work so hard in making it desirable for people to make people want to feel that they need it because you know because it's just such a a beautiful thing to have and the experience that surrounds it is is so positive
0: yeah and i think i think that's true the experience becomes the luxury it's much mm. more about how you engage with you know whatever it is you're engaging with that makes it that you know that makes it that luxury
1: absolutely absolutely an experience and, and and we not everybody can come to harris you know so if we can give people a little bit of the isle of harris and its beauty you know on social media digitally through a, a virtual kaylee as we do on a, every so often on a saturday night you know, uh, w- bringing people experience. You know, uh, get or you know, the glass that they pour the gin into, or the whatever it is. Then I think that's what we do to complement just having one gin, is building an experience, which is a luxury experience, I guess, uh, around, around the gin.
0: How difficult has it been to recruit people to work in the distillery? <laughs>
1: so so far it hasn't been uh, difficult at all i mean I, I, we recruit everyone we can from the island um, we're there to create island employment we have built something that the herachs are intensely proud to be part of so it has not been difficult however we are coming to an interesting conundrum where we are pro- where, the, where there's very little unemployment right and there are one or two other businesses that have grown up, partly because the s- distillery has been so successful and encouraged more tourism to the island. So there's a lot of buoyancy and vibrancy now happening since we've opened that's meaning that sooner or later there will be a cap on the number of people we can employ unless we can build more homes for them, which is going to be the next challenge. So... um so it's it's going to be a high class problem because we were there to stem the un, the decline in in population, but now we need to help create the infrastructure to encourage more people to come to Harris to live.
0: Well, wow, that's quite that's going to be a challenge. That's a big one. I wanted to move on and ask you a little bit um, about technology and how that's impacted on on the way you work, or mm. well, has it impacted on the way you work?
1: Uh, only in a good way in that we are a tiny company with little resource and we have used e-commerce very, very effectively. So we set out as a direct-to-consumer company. So for the first six years, we've only ever sold our Isle of Harris Gin online. Again, creating a sense of exclusivity and belonging. That was the whole idea. So we made ourselves pretty hard to get. And when you got it, you got it from Harris. So it was sent to you by ship across the water, you know, to your home in a beautiful box with a lovely message and a handwritten gift message by somebody on Harris. So using technology in that way was wonderful. And from that, building up a database of tens of thousands of people, so knowing all of our customers. And then every Friday night since 2014, we've sent a journal out to our followers so it's about fifty thousand people who receive our friday night journal at five o'clock and that's time to get your isle of harris gin bottle and pull the cork and have a g and t um and latterly during lockdown again you know like everybody else we've found you know talking to our international partners by zoom and and teams holding virtual Kaylee's instead of Kaylees in, in a in a in a bar um, Doing tastings to people the other side of the planet, uh, I, I think it's been it's been wonderful. Uh, what we do now want to do is reconnect in person, uh, and, and get back out there and meet people again. But, but no, I mean for a small island distillery with with small resources, as you can imagine, technology has been a, a, an absolute boon.
0: Mm. No, yeah, I can imagine. You know, not having access to people physically, physical access to people is always difficult. But as, those, um, you know, virtual Kaylee sounds like an amazing idea. <laughs> it's great, <laughs> a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, my penultimate question is about the bottle, because uh, the bottle's quite famous in itself. Mm. <laughs> How did that come about?
1: Well, again, you know, the founder said he wanted to put Harris in a bottle. So that bottle had to represent Harris so we could only use the best designers. And back in the day, I I knew by reputation of a small boutique design agency called Stranger and Stranger in London. And I went down to see them when we hadn't got a penny and uh, went down on hands and knees. And I said to Ivan, I said, look, you know, we've got this wonderful idea we're going to build this beautiful distillery with this great purpose. We'd love you to design our bottles, but you know you don't really have the wherewithal to pay you. And anyway, Ivan was wonderful and he got it and he's got a partner who's got relatives from Stornaway. And uh, he and two colleagues flew up to Harris and spent three days on the island. They walked on the beach. We had a small Kaylee in the hotel. Where we got them to talk to people from Harris about what it's like to be a Herach. and they went back to London and they designed that bottle, and um, it's just been uh, wonderful for us. I mean, I, you know, I don't know whether we'd have achieved what we've achieved without that bottle. You know, if we'd just had the gin and we'd had our story, but the bottle had been something less. I don't know. Uh, I mean, it played an enormous part in, in what we've achieved and people just love the feel of it, you know, the tactility and the, the, the complexity. And as we speak, we're finalizing the design of the whiskey bottle,
0: Oh wow! which of course, which of
1: course is, is, is a member of the family. Right. Um, and that will see the light of
0: day in the next year or so. Excellent. Brilliant. Simon, this has been great. Um, I've really enjoyed um, our chat and um, I very much look forward to visiting the island um, in the not too distant future, in fact, uh, and seeing, um, definitely making a visit to the distillery. You must um, do. Meeting, yeah, meeting um, Rebecca. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah. Um, I would like to end like I always do and ask you, what is your luxury? my
1: luxury actually is very closely connected to the project because I say I live in Edinburgh and I commute to Harris every week and I've been doing so for 10 years but latterly my wife and I have bought a small croft house on the south of the island and we've spent three years renovating it and literally I've just come back from three weeks there with my wife and for those entire three weeks the wind never dropped below 60 miles an hour and it rarely stopped raining or hailing or snowing but we just loved the simplicity of just spending time just gazing out over the, the wild sea and the silence and you know coming from an urban world which we inhabit most of the time it really felt i guess luxurious because of its simplicity i think yeah that for me was and more and more of that over time more time spent in that place less time spent in the city probably is the way things are going to go
0: yeah well that does sound like a luxury (laughs) no (laughs) one no one one around and just the amazing scenery beautiful simon erlanger thank you so much for joining us on the in pursuit of luxury podcast well thank you for having me sean it's been a great pleasure thanks to simon for joining us thank you to our partners intellect Books and of course to you for listening. Catch up on missed episodes or listen again to your favorite ones by subscribing to the In Pursuit of Luxury podcast on your favorite listening platform. Join us next time on the In Pursuit of Luxury podcast.